And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard the Athletics Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely. Can't wait. Welcome into the Can't Wait podcast, Tuesday, October 26th. I'm Tim McMaster along with Connor Hughes and Marissa Morris. However bad you thought the Jets' trip to New England could go, they managed to outdo those expectations. 54-13 in a loss that will have repercussions for weeks, maybe months. Thanks for checking us out on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen or watch. Give us a five-star review if you can. we got a lot to get to. Obviously, Zach Wilson's injury, Joe Flacco's addition to the team and the trade that was made on Monday, the defense also turning into a pumpkin here in October, all sorts of bad things. Connor, I was just thinking we we don't have like a real non-Jets thing to get to. It's almost like we have to go right into the pain here. We were discussing Halloween costumes, so maybe we can have the people who are watching on YouTube share who they what they're going to be for Halloween this year. Yeah, we're all clearly big Ted Lasso fans here, so I'm I'm kind of back and forth. Bree and I are trying to figure out if we want to go. Are we allowed to divulge what you and Michael are going to do? Yeah, that's Marissa? fine. Well, we yeah, think it's... if someone has a better suggestion for what me and Michael can be, like give us. I need a really good one. But he's also like not very um, like willing to be something crazy. So keep that in mind. <laughs> I'm Bree willing I... to go all out, but he is not. <laughs> that's like the reverse. Bree's the one who's like doesn't want to go all out. I'm the one who's like I'll do anything. Um, all right we're like we're back and forth right now it's either ted lasso and rebecca which is what i know you and michael are considering or Mm -hmm. keely and uh roy kent i'm kind of like originally i was like ted lasso rebecca now i'm on like the roy kent keely thing like i'm feeling i'm feeling the roy kent one i think that'd be fun like i think it would be funny if you guys were that and then michael and i were ted yes yeah 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 we could combine instagram posts yeah, and, and Ailey can be the soccer and... ball. Ailey yes. can be our <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. soccer ball. You just got to pivot from that one, Tim. <laughs> I have no thoughts. By the way, it, it's funny. Halloween growing up was like my least favorite holiday. I never came up with I a like costume. Um, I always felt like whatever I did end up being, I was like, ah, I felt self-conscious. It was just, <laughs> I just never liked, the trick-or-treating was fine, but I never liked the whole costume thing. Um and then I married someone whose favorite holiday in the world mm. is really? Halloween. So that's where we are. And now we have a little baby who will definitely be all in on Halloween as well. Yes. So I, I, I've i kind of avoided it. Um, you know, we've kind of celebrated it, but not all in. But I feel like now I just have to commit, get over it, commit to Halloween. And when she's old enough, you can do the um, I stole your candy bit that Jimmy uh, Kimmel does. And that's epic. You tell oh, tell yeah. the little kid after they went trick or treating that you stole you you accidentally ate all their candy. That's my those are my favorite videos every year. So that's the perk of having a child now, Tim. You I get was, to steal I, her candy, torture them. Yes. <laughs> I was always into Halloween just for the sake of like the social aspect of it, like seeing everyone. Oh, everyone always used yeah, everyone used to come over my house and we'd all go trick or treating. So I I nursed that thing through like high school, and then obviously you started doing Halloween parties. But I will tell you this, and I'll. I'll do a little dirt for those of you that still follow him. Daryl Slater, who was the Jets beat writer uh, at the Star-Ledger for a while, now does more NFL stuff for the Star-Ledger. I have never in my life seen a human being more obsessed with Halloween than one Daryl Slater. Like, and I'm telling you, I was out of, like, he's not like that at all. You would think that he hates Halloween. You would think that, you know, it's below him that he would find it. You know, just if you get to know Daryl and you know his personality, like, you would think that Halloween and like is like the one that's just like this is so, this is like a just a, a candy company holiday. There's no point for it. When I tell you my first year knowing, and we were on the road in Cleveland, and he goes, he texts Andy Vasquez and I and goes, "Hey, what are you guys dressing up for?" And I'm like, "What?" I was like, "We're we're in Cleveland." Like I'm just like, I don't know. I thought we were just gonna go to the bar, get a couple game or drinks, and like hang out. He goes, "No." He goes, "What are you guys gonna be for Halloween?" I was like, "Well." I was like, I have a penguin like onesie. I guess I can bring. I was like, I don't know what you're talking. When I tell you this guy came decked out in a full like wig, 
makeup, sunglasses, outfit, the whole shebang, and he does it every single year. It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Of, of every, if I gave you a that every beat writer, which one do you think loves Halloween? He would be the last one you'd select. And I'm telling you, that guy is obsessed with it. Obsessed with Halloween. All right. Well, Halloween is all about scary stuff, and so are the Jets right now. So let's get back to them. Uh, whew. We'll start with the injury, right, Connor? That's where it all begins. Zach Wilson uh, injures PCL. He's out two to four weeks. Um, kind of the best case scenario, I guess, if you saw him laying on the ground and limping off the field, that it's not a bigger injury than that. But it's more than just Wilson, and that's kind of what I want to get into. Because of what this team did and not bringing in a veteran, obviously they have Joe Flacco now, but it's going to take him some time to get up to speed. We'll get into that as we move along in the podcast. But Connor, with Wilson down in a season where you weren't really winning football games, had no hopes of the playoffs. It was all about development. Now you lose Wilson for a month, plus everyone else on the team that's trying to grow with Wilson. It basically just pauses this team and everything they're trying to do as long as he's out. Yeah, it's um, it's not good. And I, I think it's it's less, and we'll get into this in a little bit with Flacco, it's let the, the outlook on it now isn't as bad with Joe Flacco in as it was yeah. without Joe Flacco. And the reasoning for that, and it's, it's, you know, it was the source of the column that I wrote after the game and the first 800 words of the day after thoughts, which no one will ever get to read because right before I filed that to my editor, the Jets traded for Joe Flacco after singing the praises of Mike White. But this was one of those things where the Jets, you know, we, we talked about this before, Tim, and it's that, you know, the Jets have this, this methodology right now that, you got two different kinds of players. You got veterans and you got the young guys. When you get to veterans, those are players that are scarred and beat up and, and damaged, but damaged in ways that are good. Because when you get scarred, you always remember how you got that scar. You know what I mean? You can always remember how you got the scars to steal the old line from Heath Ledger and Joker. And that helps you because you don't go back and make those same mistakes again. That like, you, you know, you can cut your you're um you, know, you, you have a cut and you're like well i remember you know you touched the light bulb i remember i touched the, i'm not going to touch the light bulb again so you remember it and you you learn and you take those beatings and it helps you down the road because you because you become a smarter person and in a football perspective you become a smarter player the issue is that by the time all those veterans have those scars and and don't make those rookie mistakes they've lost their rookie speed and agility and acceleration and, and that athleticism that you have young and young and early in your career that you don't necessarily later on so what the Jets have been trying to do here is, and, and they said they haven't punted on this season, but they basically punted on this season because they say, all right, we're going to play all of the young guys. We're going to get as many young guys on the field as we can. Give them their scars. Get them beat up. Have them deal with those learning experiences now. So in year two and year three, we get young players that still have their athleticism with the experience of veteran players because we play them so early in their career. And the Jets felt like that's going to help us benefit down the road. No player did that hang a no player did that matter more for than the quarterback in Zach Wilson. No player did that matter more for than Zach Wilson. And and the reasoning for that is because he is the quarterback. He's the most imp important person on the field. He needed to take his beatings, take his lumps, learn because every rep that he has is something that he can store in the memory bank to go back for down the road. Every new look that he sees, every new alignment, every new coverage, every new all, all every new game experience. This being the first blowout really that he's he's had. The four interceptions, the coming back and losing, the coming back and winning. Like all of these things he can experience which will help him down the road. And in the meantime, while Zach grows, everyone else grows with him. Mike Carter in the backfield grows with him. Elijah Vera Tucker in the offensive line grow with him. Uh, Elijah Moore outside grows with him. Corey Davis, Denzel Mims, if you can ever see the field. All that said, they all those guys will grow with him. With Wilson now out, two weeks at least, but it's probably, from what I understand, it's probably going to be four. It's, it's, I, he's not coming back for the Bills game. It's, it's going to be a four-week injury. You're missing a full month of your development. You're missing a full month of it. Now, as you said, Tim, it's not as bad as it could have been. I mean, if this was a torn ACL, if this was a season-ending injury, if this was something where he's, you know, what happened to Joe Burrow last year, where he's going to now have to sit the entire, a large, large chunk of the season and a portion of the off-season program and all that, that's not, obviously, that's the worst-case scenario. This one, it's just a month, but still, it's a step back for Wilson. Now, the one benefit of this with Flacco is that when they were going to go with Mike White, 
it was not going to be a great situation. Because basically, you were going to punt on the next four weeks. Because Mike White's no different than Zach Wilson in terms of he has no experience. So he's going to be doing all this for the first time. I know he checked in. Through the touchdown, you know, I was having fun with the let Mike cook movement, you know, like that kind of a thing during the game and moving down the wire and all that stuff. But it's very obvious. I mean, you saw in the second half, the guy was what, like 16 or something with the two interceptions, a really low quarterback rating. I mean, he came back down to earth in glorious fashion in that second half and struggled a lot in the second half. The Jets could not start Mike White consistently. They couldn't trot him out there for a month because now you're having everyone on offense take a step back. It's like when Luke Falk was out there for the Jets a couple years ago, where it's you're starting a quarterback that is not really capable of starting right now, and everyone else on offense is going to be hurt. So the Jets had to make a move for the quarterback, and they did for for Joe Flacco. But uh, this obviously is not a good situation. It's not an ideal situation. still an old Adam Gase line, but it's certainly not as bad as it could have been because now at least you know that you're going to get Zach Wilson back at some point this year. Now, when Joe Fla- when Zach Wilson does come back, what happens to Joe Flacco at that point? I mean, has there been any talk about that? Does he remain and and be that veteran quarterback that we've talked about Zach Wilson needing since the summer, or do they, you know, is he the odd man out again because Wilson's no, no, back he, and they want to keep Mike White around? No, no, they'll keep him. I mean, if anything, yeah. like they can cut Mike White. No one's going to claim Mike White and make him their backup quarterback. Like the fact that he's the Jets' backup quarterback is just stunning. Like I remember. I got a call from a couple of team executives that were like fishing around and trying to sell, like looking for, you know, figuring out what teams are doing and stuff like that. Like during, I want to say OTAs and, and they were asking about certain players in the Jets and, and what I thought the Jets were going to end up doing with them. And one of the executives said something like, you know, what the hell are you guys doing with that backup quarterback spot? He was like, I see he's like Mike White and James Morgan. He's like, is that really what they're going to do? And I remember telling him, I was like, man, I was like, if they go into this season with Mike White and James Morgan as their backup quarterbacks and something happens to Zach Wilson, they are so beyond effed. Like, that's what I said to this guy. So, I mean, every, like, and he goes, he started, the guy started laughing. He goes, yeah, he goes, I was thinking the same exact thing. So, I mean, everyone and their uncle was like, what are you doing? Like, I mean, there, there, maybe someone else might try to sign him to their practice squad, like the Panthers did with James Morgan, but no one's going to like claim Mike White to their 53. Like, no one is going to do that. Like, maybe if Mike White, like, you know, somehow kept this starting job and, you know, threw for 300 yards and led the Jets to one or two wins, then maybe somebody would do it and they'd take a chance. But at that point, the Jets aren't going to cut him anyway. So, no, I mean, Joe Flacco is going to be the backup quarterback when, once Zach Wilson comes back and and finally give that veteran mentor in there. And and I, I will say this. I mean, the, the Jets had interest. I know he's not a great scheme fit, but obviously his relationship with Joe Douglas carries a lot of weight. The Jets did have interest in bringing him back. I mean, they did want to bring Joe Flacco back this year. They tried to re-sign him in free agency, but... They were upfront and honest with him, and and Joe was very well aware that the Jets were going to draft a quarterback second overall. And when they did, that quarterback was going to start. This wasn't about best quarterback in training camp. This wasn't about best quarterback in the preseason. It's very similar to what was this case with Sam, that when the rookie is ready, and even if he's sort of close to being ready, they're going to give the job to the rookie quarterback. And and Joe wants to play. like that. that that's the case. I mean, he signed with the Jets knowing he wasn't going to play the first time, but that was when he was rehabbing his neck injury. So he wanted to play. He wants to be on the field. And so he tried to find an opportunity where he felt that could happen, and that was with Philadelphia, where there was uncertainty with Jalen Hurts. There's uncertainty with Jalen Hurts' durability. There's no uh, clear cut if Jalen Hurts is good or bad. And, and Flacco kind of thought, like, all right, I'll go there. And if Hurts stinks, maybe I'll take over as this team's starting quarterback and 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 be the starter for the Eagles. And obviously that didn't work. It looks like they're going to stick for a while with Hurts and, and then maybe give it over to Minshew. But now he's coming back to the Jets and playing. So, I mean, it's he's not going to go anywhere. He's not going to be like, they're not going to keep him for four weeks and then cut him. I mean, they, they gave up a, a sixth round pick, potentially a fifth round pick for him. And you know how much Joe Douglas loves his draft pick. So now Joe, Joe's going to be with this team. All right, so if he is still that guy that wants to play, obviously he's going to get that chance here. Um, but once that chance goes by, will he? is he the kind of guy that will be that mentor for Zach Wilson, or is he the type of veteran quarterback who's like, ah, I figured it out, kid, you're on your own. I mean, what, how, what, from what you know, dealing with him a little bit last year via Zoom, obviously, um, you know, what, what kind of guy will he be, you think, at this point in his career with Zach? It's now see here's the thing and I think everyone looks at that like that the wrong way like looking looking for the veteran to be basically what Josh McCown was with Sam Darnold where like he literally took Sam under his wing kept Sam there and like you know basically nursed him to a, a quarterback in the NFL I mean that that's really what that relationship was I mean it was Josh taking over and saying 
I'm going to be everything for Sam. You don't, you don't necessarily need that. I mean, you don't have to go to as dramatic as like Aaron Rodgers is, where basically I think, what was it, his first year, he didn't even talk to Jordan Love. I mean, you don't have to be that. The benefit of having a veteran quarterback in the room is that Zach can watch a veteran quarterback operate and watch a veteran quarterback work. And it's not about always teaching. It's almost just learning by observing. And I think Joe will help Zach. Like, I do think that he'll help him. He'll explain if Zach has questions and Zach asks Joe. Joe will answer all of those questions. Joe will help him in whatever way he can. But it's more just this now gives the opportunity for Zach to look at a guy who has won a Super Bowl MVP, a guy who's won a Super Bowl, who's been a first-round pick, who's played in big playoff games, led his team to the playoffs, won big playoff games. Watch how he operates. Because even though Flacco isn't as physically gifted as he once was, even though he's not the the quote-unquote elite quarterback that he once believed he was back in the day, he still is a competent NFL quarterback. Maybe not a starter, but he is an NFL quarterback. He can be a team's backup at the minimum and a spot duty starter as the Jets believe. When Zach first went down, and this was going to be two weeks, four weeks, or if the MRI went the other way, a lot longer than that. Sala talked about this and other players talked about this. And every one of my mentions brought this up about the, the Sam Darnold rookie year, right? Where Sam hurt his foot. He played nine games where he did not look good at all. Hurt his foot, missed three weeks, came back in the final four months of his rookie season where he had the 99 quarterback rating. I think it was six touchdowns, one interception. I think he only won one game, but the Jets were in it against a good Texans team, a good, uh, a good Texans team, a good Vikings team, a good Packers team. I mean, the Jets were in it in all those games because of Sam Darnold. I mean, that four game stretch was arguably the best four game stretch of Zach Wilson or of, of Sam Darnold's Jets tenure. A lot of people are like, oh, well, Zach sat back, Zach watched, Zach benefited or Sam benefited from watching. And now Sam took off those final four weeks. Now Zach is hurt. So Zach can step back, Zach can watch, and Zach will have a similar experience like Sam Darnold did. And the one thing that I wrote in my column after the game and had in my uh, ex-additional thoughts after the game before having to delete it is that Sam was able to watch a been-there-done-that quarterback. He'd been able to, he was able to sit back and watch Josh McCown in the film room where Josh McCown had been for 15 years, you know? He was able to sit back and watch Josh McCown prepare to start a game, which he had done dozens of times in his NFL career. He'd watched him break down film. He watched him prepare for a defense. He watched him go throughout practice. He watched a quarterback who, yeah, this isn't Aaron Rodgers. Josh McCown was not Tom Brady. Josh McCown is is was a, a backup quarterback, a very good backup quarterback for a very long time because of his brain. But still, he had been there and done that. And there are things that he knew and things that he could do that he didn't even think about anymore because he had just done it for so many years. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you, you make a sandwich... 3,000 times in a deli, and that's where you work. Eventually, you do things where if I just walked into a deli to make a sandwich, I wouldn't be able to do. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, you know things. Like, you do things every single day for a certain amount of time. You learn and you pick up tricks of the trade, right? I guess that's the best way to describe it. You pick up tricks of the trade. Josh McCown had tricks of the trade that he did without even knowing to do that Sam was able to watch and then do when he came back. When Zach first went down, Mike White was going in. Mike White was not... Had no tricks of the trade. Mike White had no experience. That throw, the first snap of Mike White's game, of Mike White being in there against the Patriots, that was the first snap of Mike White's career. So he didn't know tricks of the trade, like I said. He didn't have any experience. He was going to be taking the same bumps and bruises that Zach did. He was going to have. Because, again, he was doing this for the first time. And it was, look, I actually went back and looked of every of every quarterback drafted within the first three rounds in 2020 and 2021, so recent history, if any of those quarterbacks went into the season without a veteran behind them, like with a backup quarterback that had no experience, like Zach did, where he had, I mean, there was no experience with Mike White, and he spent the entire basically the entire offseason with with um, James Morgan and his other option, who also had no experience. The answer was no. Like there was there was no other quarterback at all. I mean, I think the closest I'm bringing it up now. The closest that anyone came to what Sam Darnold had was, let me see it right here, was uh, was Joe Burrow last year with the Bengals, where Brandon Allen was his backup quarterback. Brandon Allen had three previous starts. That's it. The closest other than Brandon Allen to Zach Wilson's current experience was C.J. Beathard with the Jacksonville Jaguars because he just has 12 previous starts. But remember, also, Lawrence competed throughout the offseason with Gardner Minshew, so he was still there to watch and learn. 
Tua, who was drafted, had Fitzpatrick. Herbert had Tyrod Taylor. Jordan Love had Aaron Rodgers. Trey Lance has Jimmy Garoppolo. Fields has Andy Dalton and Nick Folds. Mac Jones had Cam Newton during the offseason. Now he's got Brian Hoyer. Trask has Tom Brady. Mills has Tyrod Taylor now because he's now uh, in Houston. And then Mond has Kirk Cousins. The Like, the Jets took a stance here that was like, everyone else zigs and the Jets are zagging. But sometimes when everyone else says 2 plus 2 is 4, it's very hard to make the argument that 2 plus 2 is actually 5. And that's what made no sense. And, and... Again, you went into the offseason with this being a storyline of like, why don't the Jets have a backup quarterback? Went into the regular season like, okay, maybe the Jets are right and everyone else is wrong. Now you're at the point where it's like, okay, you got a chance to see Mike White now. Mike White's your backup quarterback. Show us you were right. And the Jets immediately trade for the veteran. And, and the worst case scenario of this, aside from basically not having somebody out there who can really play and somebody who's going to be a detriment to the rest of the guys on offense, similar to what Luke Falk was for the Jets when he had to play for Adam Gase, Adam and Zach Wilson now watching another quarterback and Mike White who's never done it before not really learning anything like yeah, he's sitting back and watching someone else play quarterback but there's nothing that Zach Wilson could take out of Mike White's game that's going to help him with his now that you have Joe Flacco in here the one thing that you are able to do is everything we've talked about since OTAs everything we've talked about since minicamp everything we've talked about is training camp is you have a quarterback who was a first round pick like Zach you have a quarterback who played a lot as a young quarterback like Zach you have a quarterback in, in Joe Flacco who has had the most success that you can have as a quarterback in the NFL. If I'm not mistaken, I know I'm pretty positive he went to Pro Bowls. He obviously won the Super Bowl. He's been in playoff games. He's played in a tough division where he had to go up against the Bengals when they were good with um, Carson Palmer and Chad Johnson. The Ravens were always good, obviously, but then they also had to play the Pittsburgh Steelers. So you had good teams. I'm sorry, Marissa's Browns obviously were not good when Joe Flacco was tearing it up as, as elite Joe. Now, at least you have a quarterback who, like I said, been there, done that, has accomplished just about everything you can accomplish. Zach can now sit back for these next four weeks and watch Joe work. And it's not about him going out there and doing what he did when he was in Baltimore and leading him to the Super but just watch. How does he watch film? How does he prepare? How does he treat his body after the game? What does he look for in film assignments? Like all those little things that maybe you don't necessarily think about where you go into class, you don't necessarily think you have to teach. Zach can watch both what Joe says and what Joe does. And doing that for a month, I think that will benefit him because he was going to get no benefit from missing a month and watching Mike White. Now with Joe Flacco in here, there's something that he can he can take from it. Eventually, Joe Flacco will be on the field. This week, though, since he's just getting in and just figuring out this offense, will Mike White start Sunday? Um, We'll see. I mean, I, yeah. I don't. I don't know. Um, I think it's probably you can probably connect some dots there and realize that it would be a lot to ask a um, it'd be a lot to ask a young quarterback to or young quarterback. Sorry, there, it would be a lot to ask Joe Flacco to come in. I know he like has some experience in the, this offense from when he was in Denver, but he doesn't know Michael Floor's offense. I mean, you're seeing it's right. taken the guys who have been here since OTAs quite a while to pick up the offense. I mean, that's why they're not quote unquote executing. But I mean, I think it's. It, it would be probably a tall ass to say like, hey, Joe, you're getting here on Wednesday. Learn the entire offense and start on Sunday. I mean, I think that's probably a little bit of a tall ass, but we'll see. I mean, if he picks it up in time, I think there's a chance, but, you know, we'll see. All right. Well, we have a lot more to get to uh, looking back on the game on Sunday and ahead to next week. But first, let's take a quick break. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, so we've talked a lot about the injury and the replacement with Flacco coming in, Connor, but the fact is that before Zach Wilson was injured in that game, Really, we were watching the same old Jets that we've seen throughout this season. They did not score in the first quarter. They did have a chance at a field goal that they missed. But Wilson, uh, 6 of 10, 51 yards before the injury. Um, I feel like we got enough of this team at full strength early in that game to see that there weren't a lot of improvements from the bye week. And we'll get into the defense uh, and how bad that looked after this. But just offensively, I didn't see a lot of changes. I didn't see a lot of improvements. The first drive didn't wow me. No, and and I've I've been um, not overly critical of Lafleur yet. Like I've I've kind of I've I've couched this. I mean, look, he's got a lot of young players in offense. Teams learning a brand new system, a veteran or a, a young rookie quarterback. You know, making his his first starts in his career. I mean, it's it's going to take time. And this is, you know, everyone says like the. Salah said it like this is like the best offense for a quarterback like it's the best it's the most quarterback friendly offense and I know that there have been people that have been like well like internally who have been like well you said this is the the best quarterback the best system for an offense why is our quarterback struggling so much in the offense and and the reasoning is is like it is the best system for a quarterback once the quarterback knows the offense but it takes time to learn and then once you learn it that's when you'll see them take off that's you know LaFleur has made this comment multiple times is like look at how much the 49ers struggled early on. Look how much they and then suddenly they learned it and they got going and they took off on the you know high flying offense. Blah blah blah. I will say this though, the credit like Lafleur is not losing his job. Like that's not happening. So the thought process of like he's going to get fired and and I don't know if I don't know. Look, Adam Gase had fire Adam Gase planes flying around after they started one and seven. You know his first year. The Jets are steamrolling towards one and seven this year potentially one and nine and all all kinds of worse so we'll see if if the planes are back out for for Salah they're definitely gonna come out for Salah but they might come out for LaFleur we'll see if that's the case I do think that he needs some criticism and the reasoning for it is why this offense isn't working right I mean you had two full weeks to prepare for the Patriots you spent the days going into the bye saying we are going to figure out what's wrong with our slow starts and we're going to iron it out and we're going to fix it You then had the whole week coming out of the bye where you assured everyone with ears that we figured out what was wrong. We addressed what was wrong. We've got this covered. Don't worry. We found the solution. Two weeks of that. Two weeks of game planning. Two weeks of knowing who your opponent is. Two weeks of being able to watch film on that opponent. Opponent you already played. And then to go into that game. And be like, we want to start fast. We want to come out strong. We want to drive down the field. We actually we actually forget points. We just want a goddamn first down on our first possession. And your first two plays are runs up the middle for basically two combined yards. Like, that's what you came up with? Two runs up the middle? And and we talked to LaFleur yesterday. And and I, the Jets told him, you know, speak day after along with Ulbrich. Like, both the coordinators spoke, spoke on Monday when usually they speak on Thursday. They... LaFleur said like the reasoning for it was, you know, we wanted to we wanted to ease Zach Wilson into the game. You ran twice for no gains and set up a third and eight, which then he bounced and you went three and out. Like I just it's it, I, I can even keep going where it's it's like we talk all week about the need to get the ball in Elijah Moore's hands. Get the ball in Elijah Moore's hands because when you put the ball in that kid's hands, good things happen. The Jets threw him a screen, he got a first down. The Jets gave it to him on a on a wide receiver verse and around he scored a touchdown. There's only two touches he had all day. There were no more screens. There were no more drags. There were no more curls. There were no more plays just to get him the ball. Nothing. Like, it's just, it's, I don't get what's happening. I don't understand why I can watch literally any other NFL game, even the other NFL games of crap football teams. The Detroit Lions, you can turn around and watch. The Miami Dolphins, you can turn around and watch. The Houston Texans, you can turn around and watch. The Chicago Bears, you can turn around and watch. The New York Giants, you can turn around and watch. 
And there are different points in every single one of those games where you watch an offense and you're like, huh. Now, I know Fields dealt with a lot of problems with Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I would take that one and, and just throw it out because the Buccaneers are, what, 6-1? and one? And, I mean, like, that's kind of a different experience. But still, look at the Detroit Lions, right? They played a, a, a Super Bowl contender in the Rams. Took him down to the wire, and the offense showed signs of sparks. Justin Fields, when he hasn't played the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, showed signs of sparks. The offense has been there. There's been points in every single one of these games where it's like, man, that looks fun. That looks easy. Then you watch the Jets offense, and everything about the offense just looks hard. Even when they make plays, even when things go their way, it's like they're pulling teeth. And I just don't get it because every single other team that I watch, every single other game that I watch, at some point, it's like, that looks a little easy. That looks, oh, that that looked fun. You know what I mean? Like It looks like they're out there having fun. Like, could the Jets make these plays? And it's just, it's, it's, everything's hard. Even when they have big plays, the big plays are hard. It's Zach running around for his life, chucking it down the field, and somehow it, it's complete. You know what I mean? Like the, the, obviously the Titan game is a pretty good example, but even this one, like with Zach, like their biggest play is Zach Wilson heaving it down. There's a defensive pass interference. They get it down to the one. It takes two runs right into the middle of the field with Mike White with getting nothing. Then a highly contested, unbelievable catch by Corey Davis to get a touchdown when they started the drive at the one yard line. Like that's what it's like all the time. And I finally asked LaFleur, I said, I was like, look, man, I'm not trying to be an ass here. I don't want to have this come off the wrong way, but why is it so, why is what's so easy for every other team so hard for you? And the one thing that he chalked up the slow starts to, and the one thing he chalked that up to is he kept saying, you know, it's coming. Don't worry. It's coming. I know it's coming. I'm confident it's coming. Is he said, we're just not executing. We're just not executing. We're just not executing. I have heard executing over the course of this season and training camp more than I heard that damn cliche about iron sharpening iron. The Jets were not executing. And that was the reason for their struggles in training camp. That was the reason for their struggles when things didn't go all, the, all perfect in the preseason. That's been the reason for the struggles week one through week seven. And in all five of these losses, we're just not executing. Well, it's not training camp anymore. It's not week two anymore. It's not week three anymore. Like, why are you not executing in week six, in week seven, in week eight? Why is this the only team in the NFL that has not scored a first quarter point? They've been outscored 106 to 20 in the first half. Why, after all, after stressing this during the bye, why, after screaming from the top of the mountains that we need to figure out our slow starts, we need to fix our fast start or slow starts, why we need to get out fast, why, after having a week of a bye and then a week talking about how you finally figured it out, are you still not starting fast? Are you still in a rut? Does everything still look hard and you're still not quote unquote executing? Why? Because you know this has been the problem. You know you're not executing. You know that's the issue, yet it's still not fixed. Why? And they didn't have an answer. He said, like, uh, he said, like, oh, it's, you know, we're as hard on ourselves as anyone else. No one's harder on us than us. And he did say it's quote unquote totally alarming. But like, to me, man, that's not cutting it. Because it's like, yeah, there are other really bad football teams in the NFL. There are other one in five or one in six football teams in the NFL. There is a winless football team in the NFL. Would the Jets be favored against any of them? Because the Lions beat the Jets. The Lions would beat them. Maybe the Texans wouldn't. They would with Tyrod Taylor, though. The Jaguars will beat them. Like, I, I don't understand how, again, the Jets aren't just a bad football team. The Jets are an unwatchable football team. Like, they lost 54-13. to The offense in every game this season, but spitter spatters against the, 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 the Panthers... And the Titans game has looked awful. Like, why? A rebuild's not supposed... And this is getting to another point where we can go into Joe Douglas and stuff. But, like, a rebuild's not supposed to take 12 years. Like, teams turn their teams around faster. Like, there have been shit football teams every single year. And aside from the very few, there's usually, like, a spark a couple years later where you can see you bring in the talent and you turn it in there. Joe had an entire offseason, free agency and draft in 2019... An entire offseason to draft and free agency in 2020. He went two and fourteen with his roster last year, and he's one and five now. And he's gonna go one and nine. Like, why why am I still watching an offense that sucks this bad? The defense, I gave him a slight break, and we'll talk about it in a little bit. But why like it, it, it drives me nuts, man, because it shouldn't be this hard. It shouldn't. It shouldn't be this hard. And the Jets shouldn't and shouldn't be able to just hang their hat on we're not executing as the reason for the struggles. Because you've been saying that every single week. So whatever you're doing to, to execute better, fucking do something different. Because it's like, you're still not executing. 
This isn't like you're not executing in week one and week two. You're like, all right, we'll figure it out. You're one in five and all the same crap that's going wrong week one and week two, it's still happening now. Why? Fix it. Like I'm not, I'm not a coach here. I'm not a GM. I'm not a scout. I'm not trying to say like, I know the fix, but you're getting paid millions of dollars to know what's wrong with this team. You're getting paid millions of dollars to fix this team. The same problems shouldn't be happening week in and week out. And when you talk all week about starting fast, and you talk all week about wanting to jump out of the gates quick, and you talk all week about how we figured out why we're not, and now we're going to go, and you start with two runs for two yards and then an incompletion, or was it a sack? Was he sacked on that third down? Yeah. I think, I don't know, I forget about the third down, but when you when you start with a three and out after two runs to set up a third and eight, like, come on, man. Like, I, I, I'm so, I, I don't want to keep ranting about, like, just being so tired of watching this slop. Like I said, I tweeted this out the other day. You know what I came? You know what happened when I came home from when I came home from the London game, and like I, I was clearing customs. The guy goes like, "I'm coming back into the states," and the guy goes, "Oh, what are you in the UK for?" And I was like, uh, "Work. I'm a reporter." And he goes, "Oh, what do you do?" And I think I don't know if you, this was like a, a question. I was I was like, oh, "I cover the NFL and Jets," so I I was over there for the game against the Falcons. He goes, "Oh, you cover?" I'm like, flying in and out of Philly. He goes, "You cover the Jets?" And I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> He shook his head like this as he's looking over my passport, <laughs> shut the book, handed it back to me and goes, I'm so sorry. Like, you would have thought I told him I was over there for my mom's funeral. Like, no, I said I'd cover the Jets. He's like, I'm so sorry. Like, that shouldn't be the case. Like, it, you should, like, even bad football teams, even rebuilding football teams, they still show sparks. The Jags. Like, look at the Jags. The Jags have been in games. They were in games against the Bengals. They obviously beat the Dolphins. The Dolphins. In the game against the Jaguars, they went down to the wire with the Falcons. Why is it that the Jets just, they're not, they're not, it's not even that they're bad. It's not even that they're rebuilding. It's not even that they're developing. They're not fun to watch. Like, why? And it's because, quote unquote, we're not executing. Well, why are you not executing when you know you haven't been executing? Eventually, if like if the players aren't executing and Sala, and, and not Sala, LaFleur keeps saying, it's my job to figure out why. It's my job to figure out why. Well, you're not doing a good job of figuring out why. Because the same shit that's been happening that caused you problems week one and two is the same shit that's happening right now. So clearly, whatever you're saying to fix it is not doing it. So try something else. Because this, this ain't working. And it's driving me nuts. It was really salt in the wound, I thought, also, that you mentioned the two runs up the middle and the boring first possession. Then they give it over to the Patriots, and the Patriots score a touchdown on a wide receiver option pass um, that just left the Jets confused on defense. It was just like the, you know, it was a trick play, but it was like, oh, see, they have a rookie quarterback, and they do fun stuff. And um, Mac Jones, is, it doesn't have enough. Mac Jones doesn't have the same talent in his big toe. Like like Zach or right. Zach Wilson Zach Wilson is more talented his big toe sorry New England Tim like it's true though Zach Wilson has more talent in his big toe than Mac Jones has in his entire body and I'm sorry that yeah there's some better playmakers on like the Jet the the Patriots have a better tight end situation than the Jets that's not that much better of a roster the Patriots went into this game two and four we were talking about the Jets possibility of winning they hadn't won a home game in like a year like they like they like they, this was a this, the Patriots aren't good. They aren't. Like, the offense isn't that good. The defense isn't that good. I know they took the Cowboys to the wire, but they also lost games they shouldn't have lost. This team mm-hmm. lost, or they, they they lost to the Dolphins, right? Yep. This team, that's the only win the Dolphins have. The Dolphins beat the Patriots. This is a not a good Patriots team. There was heat on Bill Belichick going into this game. They won 54-13. to They went up and down the field on, de- on offense. They, they took care of the Jets on defense. Like, there was a one-game difference between the Jets and Patriots entering this game. Just lost 54 to 13. Like, that shouldn't happen. And I know, like, making this game even worse and why Sala was so emotionally distraught after the game. Because you saw that. Like, you saw in his face how emotionally distraught he was. He looked like he was about to cry. The reasoning for it is because the Jets went into this game expecting to win. Not like, oh, we expect to win every game. They genuinely thought they had a chance to win the first matchup with the Patriots. The one where they lost. They thought if Zach doesn't throw those four interceptions, they win that game. So they went into this one saying, yeah, we're without C.J. Mosley. Maybe the defense gives up a few more points, but we're going to be able to move on offense and run the ball like we did. We're going to have success because Zach's going to be ready to go. And defense will be ready. We can shut him down. 54-13. to Like, brutal, man. Brutal. Yeah, I mean, from game one to game two, one of these teams improved a lot and the other one didn't. I want to get to the defense as well, uh, but we do have to take another break real quick. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, on to the defense. And what did I learn this week watching the Jets defense, Connor? That I don't know. Is CJ Mosley the best defensive player in the NFL? Because it, it it felt like that watching this game. I mean, it's incredible the drop off. And I know it's it hasn't been a drop off. We've seen kind of the the holes in the dam, the cracks in the dam, so to speak, the last couple of games with this Jets defense that looked so good early in the season. But man, without Mosley in there, maybe leading and playing. They looked lost. Yeah, I yeah, I think that played a, a pretty big role in it. I mean, just because I and, and Ulbrich actually said this when we talked to him yesterday, and it was that basically CJ is a good forget CJ the football player. Like CJ the football player is obviously he's, he's you know a former All Pro and or former second team All Pro, former Pro Bowler. I mean, he was a dominant player, and he looks like he's shaking off whatever rust he had not playing last year. He'll continue it moving forward. Um, He's a coach on the field. Like, his ability to get everyone lined up. It's not just about him calling the play and relaying it. His ability to diagnose what the offense is coming, make adjustments at the line, do all of those different things. That's what the Jets missed and missed so dramatically last week. Like, they don't have that with Sherwood, who's now out for the year. They don't have that with Quincy Williams. They don't have that with Blake Cashman. They don't have that extra coach who might actually be smarter than some coaches in the NFL on the field and C.J. Mosley in the middle of the defense. And I think that's why you saw some of the gashed runs. That's why you saw some of the things that went wrong. That's why you saw some of the touchdowns. And and then there were obviously some uncharacteristic secondary breakdowns and things along that nature. And and things eventually started to spiral in the second half. What I will say, though, and and I take some blame off of the defense for that second half and, and the 20 points allowed in the fourth quarter. I think it was Bush League, and I think it was pathetic, and I think it was completely pointless the way that the Patriots ran up the score late in this one. Um, this, to me, is not about stop them if you want to stop them. This is, to me, about Belichick walking off the field with like his little smirk after dropping 54 on the Jets. Well, that's and, what he does against the Jets, right? It's just it's never ended in these 20 years. But here's the thing he is that. But and I look, he hates Woody Johnson, and maybe this was that you know Woody Johnson's back, and he wanted to really rub it in Woody Johnson's face. But oh, his feelings towards the ownership, usually when those scores run up and things like that, it's shit between the coaching staffs. And usually when the score isn't run up, even if you don't like other people on the other sideline or other people on the other field, your respect for the other coaching staff is what causes you to take your foot off the gas in that in that regard. So when I saw the Patriots throwing bombs up 30 points in the fourth quarter with Mac Jones still and then running it into the end zone, that like raised eyebrows. I'm like, all right, whatever. Maybe they're just like, that was the where Mac Jones went. It was actually a check down, but he went deep. When Brian Hoyer comes in and Brian Hoyer in, in relief goes like three of four for 80 yards and he's averaging, you know, just as many because he's taking his shots too. And the, Jet, the Patriots are going at him, going at him, going at him. I could have sworn that there was bad blood between Sala and Belichick that I just didn't know about. Like, did I miss something Sala said in press conferences? Did I miss, like, a, a Sala turning down a job interview? Like, did I miss something? So I actually went back to look to see if there were any blowouts between the 49ers when Sala was there and the Patriots. And there was one last year. A 33-6 to victory for the, for the 49ers early in the season against New England. So I was like, huh, I wonder if that was on Belichick's mind and Shanahan and Sala ran up the score and that's why they, you know, Belichick kind of got him back in this one. The pay- the 49ers in that game were up like 23-3 to at the end of the first half. They scored 10 points in the second half. One touchdown in the, in the third quarter and a field goal in the fourth. They called the dogs off. They ran the ball. They milked the clock. They punted it. Because that's what NFL teams do. This isn't college football. This isn't like it, it, it matters how much you beat another team by. 
as long as you win, that's all that matters in the NFL. You saw the the Bengals and Ravens. The Bengals could have dropped fifty on on the the Bengals could drop fifty on the Ravens. They started running the ball once they got their lead and the game was over. They started milking the clock, running the ball. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers could have beaten the Bears by ninety. They called the dogs off in the second half. They scored a touchdown or two, but then they they ran the ball. They milked the clock. To see Belichick just taking shot after shot after shot, here's what pisses me off, and it's not it's not that. The Jets were without C.J. Mosley and Jared Davis in this game. They then lost Blake Cashman. They were also without Hamza. They then lost Blake Cashman, Quincy Williams, and Sherwood. They did not have enough humans, as Salah said. I went back and looked. They did not have as much humans, as Salah said, to run their defensive playbook. So they were trotting out five defensive linemen because they didn't have another linebacker. In the goal line, They were in their nickel defense because they didn't have enough linebackers. The Patriots knew this. Belichick saw this. Not only were the Jets playing with one hand behind their backs because they were already down their quarterback and all this other stuff, and they were down the quarterback, C.J. Mosley. When you now remove basically all of their linebackers, they're playing with two hands behind their backs trying to fight. And Belichick seeing this, any other coach, 31 other coaches in the NFL, they're going to run the ball. They're going to take their time. They're going to milk the clock. They're going to be like, look, You guys are beat the hell up. This is an easy victory. We're not going to try to embarrass you. Instead, instead, you've got them like just trying to, and it's, it's not even a fair fight. It's like you're picking on the, the, it's like a high schooler kicking the hell out of a, out of a kindergartner who's like missing an arm. Like a, a, a limbless kindergartner in the high school is just throwing them around the yard. Like that's basically what this was. And to see them continue to do it in an NFL game, it was pathetic. It was Bush league. It was bullshit. It really was. It really, really was. And I'll tell you this. I have no idea how long Sal is going to be here. I really don't like it. I mean, this is a coach in the NFL. Like he goes two or three wins this year. And then, you know, okay. You know, everyone believes him, believes him next year. He wins four games. Maybe he gets year three, but then he could be out of here. Like you never know. But if Sala builds this team the way that Sala believes he's going to build this team, and the Jets and Joe Douglas eventually figure out the draft and they build this thing, and the Jets are eventually a good football team, when they have the Patriots up against the wire someday, I know that's asinine and crazy as that sounds, they're not calling off the dogs. As long as Sala's on that sideline, I can promise you they will not be calling off the dogs if this situation ever flips their head. In fact, the Jets might try to drop 60 or 70 on them. Because this was just, you don't have to do that. Like, I know Belichick hates Woody Johnson, but like, to do that, and in, Woody Johnson's not the one that's going to be embarrassed by this. The people that are going to be embarrassed by this are Robert Sala, Mike LaFleur, Jeff Ulbrich, and the players. Like, you're not embarrassing Woody Johnson. No one, Woody Johnson's not on ESPN. Woody Johnson's not on SportsCenter. Woody Johnson's name was not tweeted once, if I'm not mistaken, by any of us who cover this team, anyone who watches the game nationally. No one said shit about Woody Johnson. They were ripping Sala. They were ripping the players. They were, you embarrassed everyone but the person you wanted to embarrass. And you embarrassed them when they had both hands tied behind their backs in large part because injuries in the fourth quarter. You want to get keep the foot on the gas the whole first quarter, even three quarters, that's fine. You got all you got all their means to do it because you don't ever want to have the opportunity of the team coming back. But scoring 20 points in the fourth quarter of this game, when the Jets are playing without Zach Wilson, when they're playing with two, one healthy linebacker, that's that's Bush League. And I can promise you the Jets are going to remember that for a very long time. It is surprising because you bring up Shanahan, and I, it was always my understanding that Belichick and Shanahan actually had a very good relationship, and basically that's the reason Garoppolo went to the Niners because Belichick was like, you know what, I need to get rid of this quarterback for keep Brady happy. I'll give him to my buddy Shanahan out in San Francisco. We're never going to play the 49ers. It'll be fine. Um, that was always my understanding. So it's even more surprising. Maybe it is the Woody Johnson thing. Maybe it's just, I don't know. It'd be, but it was surprising. What's that? 49ers were up 23 to 3 against the Patriots yeah. last year. They scored 10 points in the second half. Yeah. They won. It was a touchdown in the third quarter and a field goal in the fourth quarter the rest of the game. They ran the ball. They milked the clock. They got out of there. Yep. 20 points in the fourth quarter the Patriots scored. That's bullshit. It really is. And it's, it's, it's not only the 20. Like, it'd be one thing if Zach Wilson's like talking shit and like playing, you know, there's bad blood and Sala came into this one, but like, we're going to beat the Patriots. We're going to take them down. And like there was like that kind of stuff, just I think it's I, I'm it's it's one that like they're gonna remember for I can promise you they're gonna remember for a very long time. And like this score 
will be on the bulletin board the next time the Jets play the Patriots next year. Now, I don't know if that's going to make a difference. I mean, the Jets have Right, they the could Patriots just put 12 tonight. also on the board, right? 12 yeah. straight losses. I mean, this Yeah, I mean, of- yeah, I've covered this I saw I've seen the Jets beat the Patriots once. It was the Decker touchdown in the end zone. Like that and 15. Like that's the only time I've ever seen the Jets beat the Patriots. So, I mean, it's going to but it's just yeah, it's I thought it, I thought it was Bush League. I really did. And I have no problem like if if there's bad blood and you're running up, I just I think it's Bush League. All right, I think before we go say goodbye it's uh, i didn't expect it this soon connor but we're actually already talking about draft position aren't we yeah i mean we can yeah you want to i mean let me, let me bring up they're fourth right i mean just real quick they're they'd be fourth yeah 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 right yeah because yeah, what's you guys i gotta get lucy the vet um yeah so obviously if the draft were to end today the top five picks in the draft right now are the detroit lions number one the miami dolphins although that pick is owned by the philadelphia eagles number two the houston texans number three then your jets are number four and then the jacksonville jaguars are number five Obviously, things are a little convoluted right now because the Lions, Dolphins, and Texans all have not had a bye. So the the Lions are 0-7. Then the Dolphins and Texans are 1-6. The Jets are 1-5. If the Jets hadn't, if the Jets had one loss additionally, the number one tiebreaker with the draft is strength of schedule. And the Jets right now have the worst strength of schedule at four five six at point four five six. So if they have the same record, or if they have the same record as any other team that's picking top five right now they would have the draft pick. In fact, at .456, the only team with a worse strength strength of schedule is the 3-3 three and three Atlanta Falcons, who the Jets obviously have a two-game lead on for that that spot. So, I mean, they're, they're in really good positioning here for, for the draft. I really do. I think that's a, a really good positioning for them. Um, and we'll see. I mean, obviously, now we're going to be we're gonna be talking about the draft for the next several weeks. Obviously, every time the Jets lose, it's like, well, where are they positioned? Because... You know, we'll see. And from my understanding, this is a very good cornerback, and this is a very good offensive line draft. And the Jets obviously need both of those things. And and honestly, I know they already drafted Mekhi Beckton number eleven. They took Elijah Vera Tucker in the first round this year. I'm telling you, there's still a good chance they're going to take another offensive lineman in the first round this year with one of those two first round picks that they have. Uh, the other thing too is I, I should mention this as well: the two and five Seattle Seahawks currently have the eighth pick in the NFL draft, which would be owned by the Jets as well. So if the NFL draft were held today. The Jets would pick fourth, and then the Jets would also pick eighth. It's the silver lining that no one wanted to hear, but it's there. The the Jets will be loaded up for the draft next year, but let's see what they do here the rest of the season. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Can't Wait Podcast. Thanks for joining us. You can save 33% off a one-year subscription to The Athletic, get all Connor's great writing, plus all of our other NFL writers. The NBA and NHL are back now. Baseball obviously finishing up in the World Series. So much sports right now. A sports equinox here in October with all the sports going on. No better time to join The Athletic. Go to theathletic.com slash can't wait. We'll be back again later this week. Preview next this weekend's game. We can't wait.